honestly, if, if we didn't have desires and dreams for marriage, most of us wouldn't get married in the first place. We, uh, we have these ideas about, you know, I'm going to, uh, we're going to have a house and we're going to maybe start with a small house and we're going to trade up to bigger and better things. We have these ideas about family, when we're going to start a family. Some, of, some folks want to have a baby in the very first year. Some folks want to have a baby after five years. Some folks go, you know, I think maybe there's enough kids in the world already and uh, we don't have to participate in that. We, uh, we have these, these desires that our spouses will never wear something to bed that that's, that's that fuzzy and that warm, uh, that, that cuddly, that much material or something like that. We just have all of these ideas about what marriage should be like, uh, vacations, you know, who's going to make the money, how much money we're going to make, who's going to spend the money, you know, all of those types of things. And then we walk down the aisle and something changes. We're not exactly sure when it changes, but something happens. And... Um, we talked about these things. We, we said we would never wear clothes like that, ever. We, uh, we said we were going to go on vacation, and when's that going to happen? We said we we're going to have a home, and we said we we're going to have a car. When are these things going to happen? And it changes from desires to expectations. Come down the aisle, you say, I do, it changes. You, you come down the aisle with desires, and you leave with a whole bunch of expectations. And, and what was suddenly, what was fun to talk about and dream about, we began to move all of these things over here, and it becomes a burden for your spouse. And, and then, when that happens, all of the things that God desired for your marriage get squeezed out, all the good stuff. What started with promises of unconditional love suddenly become very conditional. I will love you if you do these things. I will love you because you owe me this stuff. We talked about it, and if you'll do that stuff, then, then we'll be all right. But imagine a marriage. Just imagine where, where you could move all of the expectations back over into the desires box and you could leave them there. What would that do for our marriages? What would that do for our relationships? Do you think it would, you think it would take some of the stress off? If, if our marriages looked like this, got to make sure it's empty. Got some tape in there. If our marriages looked like this, empty box of expectations, and, and you spend all of your time trying to figure out your, your spouse's desires and dreams, would that help? Well, the way we're going to move stuff from expectations back into the desires box hinges on the assignment that I gave you last week. Some of you weren't here, so here, let me tell you the assignment. The assignment was to ask yourself this question. And, and what we're talking about can be applied to almost any relationship. Um, we're talking specifically about marriage, but you can, rep, uh, you can apply these principles to friendships and, and work relationships, those types of things. But here's, here's what I uh, assigned people to do last week. Ask yourself this question. If you're married... What does my spouse owe me? Because the answer to that question tells you what's in the expectations box, and it reveals what's keeping you from having the marriage that you always dreamed of having. Today, I want to tell you what they owe you. The answer to this whole expectations dilemma applies only to Christians. And, and very rarely do I do this because we have a church built where we're inviting non-Christians. We're actually actively looking for people who are far from God. People who've been burned by church, maybe by church people or religious people. We try to reach out to them and we're glad that folks are here. Every week we have non-Christians here. But I gotta just be upfront and honest today. The answer that I'm gonna give to this whole expectations thing only applies to Christians. And, and you'll understand why as we get into this a little bit. 
You see, everybody, Christian, non-Christian, can understand the expectations, desires, things. If you're in a marriage, you understand what it means to expect somebody to do something for you. You owe it to me because you made promises, we have witnesses, all of that type of stuff. Makes total sense to anybody that's been married. And very few people that I know are living their relationship, their marriage relationship, out of the desires box. Most people last week when we signed the card, you know, have you put something on your registration card? Most people said, my marriage is all about expectations. It's not, it's not functioning from desires. Christians and non-Christians can understand the big I. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big I and, and I want what I want and she's a big I and she wants what she wants. Non-Christians, Christians can understand this. And, and I have people come to me all the time for marriage counseling. And when you come to me, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say, First of all, I'm not a licensed counselor. What I have is 30 years of experience in ministry where I've watched a lot of marriages. I've studied um, what the Bible says about marriage. I've read tons of books on counseling. I've counseled pre- I do premarital counseling. I require that to do a marriage ceremony. And I do a whole lot of counseling of people that are almost, um, they're almost ready for a divorce. I, so I, it runs the gamut. And, and whether you're a Christian or not, if you come to me, I'm going to say... All I know, my whole frame of reference for how a successful marriage works comes from the Bible, comes from God's principles. And, and if you don't want to follow God's principles, then really I don't have anything to offer you. About a year and a half ago, um, this couple calls me. I didn't know them from Adam. They'd never stepped into church, never met them. They call me and they say, hey, will, will you do some marriage counseling? I said, sure. And so they come in. We're sitting out there in the living room. And I said, um, I said why did you call? And they said, well, we understand that, that maybe you could help us. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm a pastor, and so everything I tell you will come from God's perspective, from, from God's word. And they said, oh, that's great. So I said, well, tell me a little bit about your background. I said, um, are you Christians? Yes, we believe in God. Well, there's a red flag because that's not the question I ask. Uh, I said, I said you're, you're Christ followers? Well, we believe in God. And I said, okay, do you go to church anywhere? No. When's the last time you were in church? Years ago. We, we don't even remember. What church you go to? I don't even remember the name of it. I said, okay, do you read the Bible? No. I mean, it's like, why would you ask that? I said, do you pray individually? Well, sometimes. Do you pray together? No. And I said, okay, we're, this is going to be a little bit difficult <laughs> because everything I'm going to tell you is based on you knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and following what God has to say. And I said, I said honestly, I don't know why you've come to a pastor because there's lots of folks out there that, that offer help and hope. And they said, oh, we won't, well, let's just give it a try. So I said, okay, let's give it a try. Every time I would tell them something that God's word said, they would argue with me. I mean, every, every principle. And finally, I said, I said you know, I, I just don't know what else to tell you because I, this blows my mind. Why do you keep coming back? Why do you keep coming? Well, I don't know. And they eventually quit. And I will be totally surprised if today they're still together because I've never seen a marriage more committed to functioning out of expectations. You owe me stuff. It was, it was a sick marriage, it was a tough marriage, and, and I'll be really surprised if they're, if they're still together today. Now, you're, what I'm going to tell you today can revolutionize, will revolutionize your marriages. And those of you who are single, you think to the future, because 90% of all single people will be married at least once in their lifetime. So this applies to 90% of you, whether you're married or not, whether there's anybody in your future right now or not. You think about this, this will revolutionize the marriage if you decide to do it. Um, <laughs> the Bible shows us very clearly how to move stuff out of the expectations box into the, uh, um, the desires box and move away from this I marriage model. 
Now, in order to empty this box, we've got to get back to that question. What does your spouse owe you? And I'm going to tell you today, do you know what your spouse owes you? What? Somebody said it. No thing. I put two boxes in there because all y'all are always trying to figure out the blanks, you know, and I hear people. But the teenagers are real bad about this. What's this one? What's this one? So sometimes I just, no thing, you can do nothing. That, that counts. Now, there was a man in this, in this one church that, that I heard about. He had been married 50 years. Everybody in the church looked at this man as a man of wisdom, as a principle. His marriage was an awesome marriage. He's the type of guy, everybody wanted to follow his advice. Everybody wanted to know how he'd gotten to where he was in life and how he was, was successful. He was asked this question, what does your spouse owe you? Well, he took it very seriously, so he went home and he made a list of what his spouse owed him. And so he comes back the next week and he hands it to his pastor and he says, I took it seriously when you, when you asked this question. Here's my list. And so here, here it was. What does my wife Marianne owe me? Number one, absolutely nothing. Number two, positively nothing. Number three, nothing. Number four, essentially nothing. Number five, virtually nothing. Does this guy get it? I think that's why he had a successful marriage. He understood what was going on. And I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that this guy didn't use Christian darts in his marriage. You know what a Bible dart is? A Bible dart is when you take a principle that's in the Bible and you you throw it at somebody. And its sole purpose is intended to hurt them and get them to act like they should act. The Bible says, you're supposed to love me like Christ loved the church. Well, yeah, the Bible says you're supposed to submit to me. <laughs> right? And, and we use these Bible darts. Well, here, I'm going to give you seven statements about marriage today. And number one, statement number one, marriage statement number one, mature Christian marriages do not use the Bible to control other people's behavior. If you're doing that, you are not a mature follower of Christ. All that is is an I marriage with a cross hanging around its neck. Dressing up your I marriage. You're trying to beat people up with the Bible. Force them to do what you want because God said, right? A Christian marriage answers this question, what does my spouse owe me with this answer? Nothing. And and quite honestly, some of you aren't real happy with the answer, and I don't care because that is the answer. If you want a Christ-honoring marriage, your spouse owes you nothing. The only way to empty the box is to say, all right, I'm not going to have any expectations. They owe me nothing. And this idea comes from Scripture because, uh, see, here's the deal. I don't need to turn this I into a J. I don't need to have a J marriage where I worship the ground that Janie walks on and everything's about Janie and, oh, Janie, Janie. And she doesn't need to have a D marriage where it's all about Doug. That's not the answer. The answer is to invite a third party into the relationship. And that third party then becomes front and center, and the third party changes everything. Check this out in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul is giving us some instructions about marriage. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, let's define submit here. And I remember, I grew up in the, in the 60s, uh, late 60s and early 70s, and, and this was a bad word in the women's movement. Let's define what submit means. Submit means my spouse's desires over mine. So submit means I'm going to make Janie's desires, wishes, dreams a higher priority than mine. If I have to choose between my desires and Janie's desires, I choose Janie's desires. That's what it means. And so um, you would expect, you would, th- there's a catch here because the Bible says submit to Janie 
not out of reverence for Janie. Right? She's awesome, but I don't submit because of Janie. I submit because of someone else, because of the third party. See, if you don't have Christ, the only thing you can do is just try your best to put the other person's needs ahead of you. You are working in your own power. But if you know Jesus Christ, then you can get the same power that raised Jesus from the dead applied to your marriage. So it's like this. I bow the knee to Jesus Christ. I look at the cross, I see him on the cross, and I bow the knee to him. And I look through the cross, and I see Janie through the the backdrop of the cross, I see her on the other side. Because I bow to Jesus Christ, I also bow to Janie. And I say to Jesus, oh, the conversation would go like this. Jesus, your sacrifice for me is incredible. I don't deserve what you did. You forgave my sins. You changed me from being a jerk 100% of the time to less than 50. Maybe Gus to 55% of the time. That's awesome, God, you changed me. You've given me hope and life and comfort and peace. And, and I'm so grateful to you, God, for everything that you've given me. What could I possibly do to repay you for what you've done to me, Jesus? And Jesus says, are you serious? And I say, I'm dead serious. He says, take every bit of passion and energy and gratitude that you have for me. And I want you to shower that on your spouse. I'm sorry, Jesus. I, I, I was talking about you and me. I want to do something to show you how grateful I am because you died for me, you took my sins. And he says, I heard you the first time. Every bit of worship that you have for me, every bit of energy that you have, you turn that and you focus it on your spouse. And and I'm like, seriously? Every bit of, of your passion, I want you to focus it on that person that I've given their life to you. Can I do something else to show you, God? Can I, like, give 11%? Could I go to Haiti once a year? I know, I know, I'll get a compassion kid. It's $38 a month, the, the, the child in a third world country. I can, I can support them. They can get education, food. They can get medicine. Woohoo! I can do that, Lord, because I've got to have something tangible, Lord, that I can do to show you that... Wait a minute. Are you saying, Jesus, that that I can't have a lousy relationship with my wife and have a good relationship with you at the same time? Is, is that what you're telling me? Yep. You, you won't bless me and fill me and protect me and provide for me if I don't do all of those things for my spouse? That's exactly what he's saying. Do you know my spouse? That's Janie's prayer, not mine. God says, yeah. And it's not about them. It's about me and you. I want you to put, he's saying to me, I want you to put her first because I put you first. I canceled her debt and I want you, I canceled your debt, I want you to cancel her debt. So here's statement number four. I put my spouse first because God put me first. Did I get all those in there? Let's skip one. Okay, good. I don't have my monitor here anymore, so I'm, I'm... at the mercy of the guys back there. Y'all do a great job. So he says, I put my spouse first because God put me first. The cool thing about God is I don't owe him anything. I don't have to earn my way or perform my way into his kingdom, into his good graces. I owe nothing because he paid the debt. And God says, you know that whole debt-free thing that you and I got going on? I want you to turn and I want you to focus that on your spouse. 
Just as I've declared that you don't owe me anything, I want you to look at your spouse and declare, she does not, he does not owe me anything. He says, you submit for my sake because you love me. Then he gets real specific. For wives, this means submit to your husbands because, because they're great. Because they've earned it. Because they've never done anything wrong and they won't possibly take advantage of your submission. Is that what it says? No, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Say, what? Oh, Lord. And he says, you know how submitted you are to me? Well, that's easy, Lord. You're perfect. You died for me. He says, I want you to submit to your spouse that way. Take that same energy, love you have for me. Channel it to your spouse. Him? I mean, look at him, Lord. He says, it's not about him. This is about me and you. And if you want to be right with me and you want to have the type of marriage that I want you to have, you love him the way I love you. Verse 25, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And then guys, because we don't get it the first time, he adds this extra thing. How did Christ love the church? He gave up his life for her. It is not about how lovable she is. That's not the issue. Doesn't matter. Lay down your life for her because Jesus laid down his life for you. Guys, we have to demonstrate that, that we're willing to lay down our stuff, our plans, our jobs, our hobbies, our businesses, our schedules on her behalf when and if it becomes necessary. We have to learn how to make her feel secure. That's what it means to love her like Christ loved the church. You've got to make her feel secure. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ laid down his stuff, his plans, his schedule. He's got a lot more stuff than you. He's got a lot more going on than you. His plans are much bigger than your plans. He laid it out all down on your behalf. And he says, you picture Jesus hanging on the cross, you picture that incredible sacrifice, all of the energy, all the love that you have for him, you turn and you channel that to your spouse. And some of you are going, man, that's asking a lot. Well, it's a lot if you got two big fat eyes looking at each other. But as a Christian, you do not conduct, conduct your marriage in the shadow of two big fat eyes. You conduct your marriage in the shadow of the cross. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you submit to one another. Now, let me explain why marriage is such a big deal, why God designed it this way. Statement number five. A spouse is a tangible expression of God's love. God put me in Janie's life because he wants me to be a tangible, with skin on expression of his unfailing love for her. The best, the best expression of unconditional love for Janie is not a worship song. And, and didn't the worship team do a great job this morning? I mean, the reason we gather together is we're better together than we are separately. When we come in here and they, they spend hours rehearsing so that they can lead us to the throne of God. And they did a great job, man. And sometimes when I'm, I'm up here early and I hear them rehearsing, man, I just, I get chill bumps and I start singing in my office or I sing out here. And, and today, you know, I saw lots of you raising your hands, lots of you clapping. That was incredible. But what they did, that's not God's primary expression of love for a spouse. That's not it. Yesterday, Janie and I were, were at home. Actually, I was, uh, I was up and, and I, was, I get these emails all the time and I saw this email and it had a video on there and it, just, it intrigued me and so I watched the video and it was about Christ's birth. And it had Francesca Battistelli singing this song 
Be Born in Me. I don't know if you've heard it. Awesome song. I'm sitting in my chair. Nobody's up moving around at my house. I'm sitting in my chair, and I'm watching this, and, and tears come in my eyes because this was just an unbelievable expression. It shows, it's from the, the uh, Bible study series, The Story, where there's 31 stories. goes from Genesis all the way until the, the end of the Bible, and it's 31 primary stories. But this one was on Jesus being born, and she's singing Be Born in Me, and it's from the perspective of Mary. And you see Mary running around. You see her pregnant. You see her give birth on the night. You see the shepherds come, and, and I'm just, I got tears in my eyes. Janie comes out. She's about to go outside and work in the garden. She's like, what's up? I said, you got to watch this. She says, it's going to make me cry. I said, yeah. So she sits down over on the couch. She's got the, the little iPad, and she's watching it. And I see big old tears form in her eyes. And, and I'm sitting there in my chair. I can't even see what's going on. And, and man, this lump is getting in my throat. And I'm going, oh. And, and I, you know, I turn and I said, wasn't that good? You know? <laughs> she's like, yes. And we just had this incredible sense of what Jesus Christ did for us. But that is not God's primary expression of unconditional love for my wife. My wife is in a couple of triads, and, and there's one that meets up here on Tuesday mornings, and, and when we go home for lunch on Tuesday mornings, she's just filled with God's love because she's hanging out with these ladies, and they're discussing, multiplying, they're talking about things, and they're, they're praying, but that's not God's primary expression of love for Janie. His design of marriage is that I'm supposed to be the primary expression of love, God's love for my spouse. It's through me. As I learned to lay down my life for Janie, she begins to get a picture of God's unconditional love for her. And God has chosen me to be a reflection of his love, his unconditional love for Janie. And Janie's primary responsibility before God is to be a reflection of his unconditional love for me. God is the one who authored marriage. He designed it. He defined it. And his number one issuer of love for a spouse is the the other spouse. How many of you would like to receive a love like that? What would it look like if it went both ways? If both the husband and the wife chose to love each other like that? Do you think people would notice a difference? See, part of the problem with our credibility outside of these walls is that Christians act no differently than non-Christians. I mean, we're open and honest about that. We'll tell you, we're messed up people. But we shouldn't stay messed up. We should grow closer to Christ. And as I grow closer to Christ, and I begin to reflect Christ's love to Janie, Janie warms to that, and she responds to that, and she grows closer to Christ, and she reflects Christ's love to me. And it's this awesome thing. That's the goal of marriage. That's the target. When a man and woman decide to empty this box and say, you don't owe me a thing, it will change a marriage. Doesn't matter how many times you've been married. Doesn't matter um, how many mistakes, what's happened to you in the past. If you choose to empty the expectations and, and function on desires, it will change you. Can you understand maybe why the Bible says not to marry non-Christians? A non-Christian can't possibly be a reflection of God's love to you because they don't know God. You see, the, the key is not for me to focus on myself. I've got to take the focus off of Janie and put it on the third party who said, I gave everything for you. When I do that, my wife feels loved and it changes our marriage. Now, 
Some of you, some of you are thinking, man, that's all well and good, but you don't know my spouse. I've got to keep a tight rein on my spouse because that sucker's messed up. I mean, you should have seen my husband before I got a hold of him. Isn't that right, honey? You're such a good boy. You should have seen my wife. Oh, my wife can't handle money. You're crazy. If you think I'm letting go of this thing. And see, when you're holding on to a leash, when you're functioning from expectations, you can't possibly recognize unconditional love. You can't give unconditional love because here's the deal. When you're holding on to this leash, even when they do something good, who gets the credit for it? I do. Because I made a change. I created the environment so that they could succeed in life. And, and when you do something well, do it good. Here's, here's, watch this. Here you go, honey. You did so good with, with the checkbook last month. I'm going to give you another $10 this month. Live it up. And, and, and if, you're, if you're good, I'll give you another 10 next month. I'm so generous. But if you screw up, we're going to have a talk. And is that talk going to be positive or negative? It's not going to be positive. I'm pretty sure about that. And we function like this and people don't want to let go. And... and I can't. You're telling me because if they go, you fill in the blank. If I let go of this leash, my spouse will, you fill in the blank. I can't possibly let go of this. Then you will never, ever experience what God has for you. You can't do it while holding a leash. You can't do it by, by functioning from expectations. Do you know what you call it when you try to um, control someone's behavior by either lengthening or shortening the leash? You know what you call that? parenting. How many of you, when you walked down the aisle, you said in your mind, when you said, I do, you were saying, I do, to a third parent? Is that what you were looking for? I need to start including that in the marriage ceremony. I will be your parent, and you will accept it. You will wear this and smile in public, right? No, you didn't sign up for that, and it's not what God intended for you to have. You can't experience unconditional love. It's not what God intended. But, but when she does that, she reminds me of my mom. <clears throat> We're not going there. We got this dipstick dog. His name's Corn Dog. One of the things I like him is because he's a midget, man, and, and you just, you know... <clears throat> He's not going somewhere. He just janked his booty over the other place, you know, and he's running through the air. <laughs> it's pretty cool on a dog. It's not so cool when you're doing that to your spouse. But, but they remind me of somebody who hurt me. It's not about them. It's about you and Jesus Christ because you can be in control, but that's not a marriage. That's a different model, and that's not what the Bible intended for you to have. When all you're doing is managing expectations, you squeeze all the good stuff that God intended for your marriage. And if you're afraid to let go of the rope or empty the box, you'll never know what true love is. But, but they might trample my love. Yeah, they might. But they might not love me back. They might not. But throwing this down, 
getting rid of the I is your only hope for having God invade your relationship and make some changes. The reason you're afraid, I might get rejected, I might be hurt, I might have to live my life alone. It's all I stuff. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Well, I'm not perfect. No, but you invite Jesus who is to be the third party, to be the focus of your relationship, and I guarantee you, your life will change, your marriage will change. Unconditional love can't happen till you empty this box. And now some of you are going, well, what do I do with this? All these. Well, that's next week. The Bible's very clear on what you do. You've got to come back. How's that for a little bit of motivation? We're going to tell you exactly what to do with, this, with all these desires next week. But until then, you've got a choice that you need to make. You can continue to do exactly what you've been doing. Or you can say to God, God, I want it all. Even if I'm the only one, I want to have the type of marriage that reflects you to my spouse. I know they may do some things, they may hurt me, but that's between them and you. I want it all. That's the choice that you've got to make. And let me just tell you this. Anytime you invite God into your life, anytime you obey Him, you're asking Him to get personally involved in that area of your life. If it's finances, then you're asking Him to get involved in your finances when you do finances God's way. If it's parenting, you're inviting God to help you with your parenting. If it's marriage and you're, you're doing things God's way, you're inviting the God of the universe to come into your marriage and to make a difference. He will respond to that. But if you want his help, you've got to follow his path. Let's pray together. Father, we just... We have to admit that most of the time when we get upset, when we have fights, when we have conflict in our marriages, it's because we're acting like a bunch of children. Because it's not acting like you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit residing in us, changing us, maturing us, so that we can love our spouses like you love us. And I pray that you help us to make some decisions today that would change us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.